Turn with me to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 3. You know, I remember uh, I was in high school when See You at the Pole first began, which tells you a couple of things. First of all, it's been around for a little while. And I remember the impact it had on my campus. It was one of the first events that I uh, spoke at growing up. I was a, a sophomore and junior and I uh, had the opportunity, we, we did it out on our football field, and um, I remember speaking for about 10 minutes there, and just the way that it opened some doors for me with some classmates uh, that had not previously had doors open because they didn't go to church with me or didn't, didn't know that kind of aspect of my life, and we weren't great friends or whatever, and it opened some doors, and it, it is a great event, and we... we um, are excited about our youth participating in it. One of the things that is true about our church that is unique in some ways is that we have students in lots of different schools. Uh, we, we don't have necessarily a school that is our school, but we have students in Beach and Greenbrier and White House and uh, Goodlettsville Middle and Hunters Lane and uh, just all over the place, T.W. Hunter and up in station camp, just everywhere around we've got students. And so um, for our students, it's not that they get to be all together at one high school or middle school, but they get to impact lives at various ones. And we um, started a series of messages last week called Greater, and uh, we're talking about this idea of living a greater life for the Lord of dreaming big, of starting small, and having God's vision for our life ignited. And we started last week, and uh, wasn't last week a good week? Did y'all enjoy I mean, it was good last week, wasn't it? Yeah, a great week being together and back to church Sunday. And we talked about this amazing verse. And I want to look at it again because it's just one of those verses that the more I look at it, the more it amazes me that Jesus said it. It comes from John chapter 14, verse 12, and it says in there, I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. And the thing that's just absolutely amazing for me to think about is that he will do even greater works. Now, there has been lots of ink spilled about what he means by greater. Does he just mean more? Because when he says greater and he talks about us, that he's going to the Father, the Spirit's going to come, and now instead of Jesus being in one place at one time because of the Spirit in our lives, we can make a greater impact as far as territory is concerned. But I don't think that's what that word means elsewhere. And you have to kind of read other things into it. it greater there means Greater, more, better. Now we talked last week that that only comes because Jesus has gone to the Father and He's now working in and through us. But then we talked about how we can establish our lives to see God do greater things. And we started talking about this kind of overlooked character in Scripture. A guy named Elisha. The one that followed Elijah, but is not as popular as Elijah, although he did just as much as Elijah. And we started talking about this life that he lived. And you were, if you were here last week, you remember he, he's there just doing his daily routine. You remember that, right? What, what was his daily routine? What did he do? 
He plowed, right? He's plowing. He's behind the oxen. There's just teams of oxen out there. And he's behind the twelfth pair. And as he's there one day, Elijah kind of comes, sneaks up on him, throws his cloak over, which means it's now your job. And Elisha runs after him. And then he takes that unbelievable step that says, I'm done with what I was doing and I'm following God. He goes out and he kills his oxen, right? And then what does he do to the plows? Burns them. In fact, he uses the plows to be the fire to cook the animals, which says, I am out of the plowing business. Now, as much as us, some of us would like, if we were in the plowing business, to be out of the plowing business, for Elisha, it was a major step. But sometimes, as believers, we get stuck in that moment of knowing what we have or have had is not enough, and we don't move forward to what God intends for us. It usually comes in a couple of areas. First of all, we don't dream as big as God dreams. We don't think on the scale that God thinks. The verse that I've used multiple times since I've been here in the last five years is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and following. And at the end of that it says, And praise be to our God who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. We don't dream big enough, but then we also don't start small enough. That's why I think New Year's resolutions don't work. We make grand plans, but we don't do the steps that it would be to be there. We say on December 31st, I'm going to work out every day for four hours. When I hadn't done a single thing all year. But we don't make any adjustments to our schedule. We just expect it to somehow fit in there. Or I am not going to eat like I've been eating. And yet we know that the next day there's a bowl party for watching our favorite team and everybody's bringing a dish. We don't start with small steps. That's one of the things I love about the prophet Elisha. Is that he shows us how to live that greater life, but also how to do it day by day. In 2 Kings chapter 3, which by the way, I, I like to think of 2 Kings as the one of the least read final chapters. Because it really starts in 1 Samuel and goes to 2 Samuel. We like all those stories, right? You've got Saul and David and Solomon. We know all those. And 1 Kings comes along and there's Elijah in there, but there's this last chapter. How many of you are people that can read a book and not finish it? There are a few of you, all right? You don't want to admit it, but you you know what I mean. You read about ten chapters, I don't want to finish it. How many of you, if you start a book, you have to finish it? All right. This is one of those finishing kind of things. And that's one of the reasons I think Elisha kind of gets overlooked, because this is in the finishing part, and it's a pretty depressing book. All the kings are bad. Israel is split. It's divided. Things are not going well. But in the midst of that, we see some amazing things from this prophet. Elisha. Now we're not going to read the whole account here, but let me set the scene. We're in 2 Kings, and uh, you remember the king, what was the name of the king that was giving so much problems to Elijah? Ahab, right? Well, Ahab has died, and so Ahab is no longer with us. But 
His son is now on the throne. Now, just to kind of let you know, there, there was some... When Ahab left the throne, there was this, uh, inter, this period where a couple of people were there, but not very many. Uh, there was one where a king came to, to rule, but he didn't rule very long. And eventually, his son, Joram, comes to the throne. And when he gets to the throne, he's got a problem pretty immediately. Because there's this state that had been under the rule of Israel. Now remember, this is when the kingdom was divided. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And every year, this Moab would pay the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. And the king of Moab sees this instability in Israel and thinks, I'm not doing that anymore. Now, you can imagine if, I mean, for us, 100,000 lambs and 100,000 rams' wool may not seem that significant, but you can imagine that in your economy of that day, that was a major loss that was going to happen. Nahab's son, King Joram, says, I can't let it happen. Now, one interesting thing it says about King Joram, by the way, was he did evil in the Lord's sight, but he wasn't as bad as his dad. And so he's kind of riding the fence a little bit. And he decides if he's going to make sure he brings this rebellion down, he better get some help. So he goes to the southern kingdom of Judah, and he asks a king there that's a pretty good king, a guy named King Jehoshaphat. He says, I need your help. And they say, we'll help. We'll do this together. We'll seek it. And so they get ready to go over. They get their group together, and they get on the other side ready to go in and to take over the Moabites and say, listen, you are still a part of us. You've got to still send the tribute. This is going to be the way it is, and we're going to crush any rebellion. And the problem is it took longer to get get there than they thought. It took more resources to get there than they thought. And suddenly they're there and they don't have any water. And so as they're together, they start talking. And as they're talking, Jehoshaphat asked the question that should be on the king of Israel's mind. Is there a prophet around that can help us? Jehoshaphat kind of says, you know, in our kingdom, when we, you know, remember the southern kingdom was kind of the more faithful to the Lord. In our kingdom, when we have a problem like this, we consult a prophet. Where, where's the prophet of the Lord? Somebody says, well, I heard about this guy. You remember Elijah and Joel? I remember Elijah. He kind of did some things with my parents there. I remember him. Well, there was a guy that would wash his hands. And now that Elijah is dead, he would be the guy. And Joshua said, let's go, let's go, let's go find him. And so get this picture. Elisha, who has been commissioned by Elijah, but has not burst onto the scene yet, is there waiting. And these three kings come to him. In 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, this is how that part starts. So the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom set out. After they had traveled, they're in Jerusalem for seven days. They had no water for the army or their animals. Then the king of Israel said, Oh no, the Lord has summoned us three kings only to hand us over to Moab. And Jehoshaphat said, Isn't there a prophet of the Lord here? Let's inquire. One of the servants of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, Shaphat, who used to pour water on Elijah's hands is here. Jehoshaphat affirmed, The Lord's words are with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went to him. Verse 13. However, Elisha said to King Joram of Israel, 
It looks like Elisha picked up a couple of things from his mentor, Elijah. We have nothing in common. Go to the prophets of your father and your mother. Who is his father and mother? Ahab and Jezebel. He says, what's the problem? In fact, remember, Baal was one of the gods of the storm, of the rain. He says, basically, why are you coming to me? You still haven't cleaned out the house of Israel. Why haven't you come to me? You just go back. But the king said, no, because it is the Lord who has summoned us three kings to hand us over. He said, listen, it was Yahweh that called us, so I'm coming to a prophet of Yahweh. Verse 14. Elisha responded, as the Lord of hosts lives, I stand before him. If I did not have respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah, I would not look at you. I wouldn't take notice of you. So here's the scene. You have a reluctant prophet in the midst of a major problem and the kings are waiting on his answer. Now I love what he does next. The next thing he says is, I need some music. Right? Isn't that what he says? He says, hey, I know y'all are waiting. I need some music. And so he summons a harpist. And as he summons the harpist, suddenly mood music starts playing right there with the kings. Now imagine the scene, if you will. Do you know how music always seems to make things just a little more dramatic? Right? You ever watched a movie on mute? In our house we do because my wife doesn't like violence. And so we're watching a movie that has any kind of violence. You know what she makes me do? Mute it. You ever watched an action movie on mute? It's bad. Like it, you know, it's like it doesn't make any sense. So Elisha decides that, you know what, I need a little mood music. So Jeff's going to provide us a little mood music today, all right? Because we want the dramatic effect of what's going on. So Elisha calls these guys together. The harpist comes and he starts to play. Now, we don't really know why. I don't know if he wanted to make the guys wait and so the harpist made them come together. I don't know if it was because he wanted to, as some people suggest, bring his senses into kind of alignment and to let everything calm. You know how music can calm you sometimes? All I know is that he calls them in before he gives this declaration. Now, we won't do this too long because some of you go to sleep, all right? Not that you wouldn't anyways, but the music doesn't help. And he calls them all together and he says, this is what I want you to do. This is the Lord's answer to you. And you know they're waiting for something big. Oh, come on, we're ready. We've been waiting. The music's been playing. The drama is building. Things are coming. It's, you know, it's swelling to that moment. We're ready for it. He goes, go get some shovels and start digging. That's what it says. Here's what it says in Scripture up there. Then he said, this is what the Lord says. Dig ditch after ditch in this wadi. Go get your shovel and start digging. You're good. We're going to cut it because some of you are... Alright. So you get your shovel. How many of you have a shovel at home? Alright. It's one of my least favorite things to use. 
Because when I'm using a shovel, you know what that means? It's going to be hard work, right? I have never found an easy way to use a shovel. Now, some people say I have. It's called a backhoe. But we didn't have backhoes back then, all right? So he tells them to go dig ditches. Now, I want you to imagine for a minute, is there a less exciting thing in the world than digging ditches? No. In fact, when we're talking to kids sometimes, we say, what are you going to be when you grow up, a, a ditch digger? Right? It's up hard with that's, that's not what you really want to be. It's just saying, if you don't get your education, you end up digging ditches, what you're going to do. Now, there's some good professions that dig ditches, but the point is, he tells them to go start digging. Now, I want you to think, this is pretty easy. There's no dirt, right? He says, because defeating the army is nothing for the Lord. And bringing the rain is nothing for the Lord. The Lord will provide the miracle, but you've got to do some work. Here's what I want you to see in this. Sometimes when God is preparing us to do an amazing thing in our lives, He wants us to start with a simple step like starting to dig some ditches. And He didn't say just dig a ditch or a pond, did He? He said, I love how one translation puts this, fill this land with ditches. Now can you imagine when the commanders went back to the army and said, oh by the way, here's what we got to do. Everybody get ready. We're going to defeat them in the next couple of days. Everybody grab a shovel. We're going to start digging some ditches. Now it says that the next morning that water pours into the land. And without the ditches, it would have all run away. But because they had done what the Lord said, they were ready to receive His miracle. My wife recently has been reading a book by a lady named Lisa Turkhurst. She's a women's speaker and has written a couple of books. And she tells the story of, of one time when she was sitting at the table trying to teach multiplication facts to her children in a homeschool setting when it just got to be too much and she went to the closet and cried. Now, let me give you a little background there. You see, she had some daughters, and one of her daughters was a brownie. You remember, you know what brownies are, right? And part of what they had to do in their brownie troop was they had to, um, they had to pick a foreign country and give a report in their brownie troop about it. And she had picked this country called Liberia. And she said that one night she saw where this Liberian boys choir was coming to sing at a church nearby, and she said, Mom, we've got to go! And she goes, I don't really care about hearing anything from that um, children's choir from uh, South America. She goes, Mom, it's not on South America. That's all right. We've got to go. And so they go. And they get there, and it's a boys' choir. And they're up there singing. And Lisa, sitting out in the pew, is watching them, listening, enjoying the concert, when she hears from the Lord this phrase that says, Two of those boys are yours. She goes, Lord, they haven't even said anything about adoption, or they haven't talked about it. He goes, Two of those boys are yours. So afterwards, she goes up to a guy and she says, listen, I've got a crazy question, but is there any chance for adoption? And the guy says, go in the room. When you go in, you'll know. You'll hear. So she walks in the room and these two boys run up to her, give her a hug, and one of them says, Mom. So she adopts the two boys. And, you know, usually in a sermon, that's kind of the end of the story. And everybody lived happily ever after. But the problem was they were 13 years old and they tested at a kindergarten level. So the school system wouldn't take them. 
because they weren't going to put 13-year-olds in kindergarten level and they had a rule that to pass through their school you had to finish by 21. So she decided in two years to attempt to do six years of work. She said, I was not a homeschooler. I was a mom who spoke and wrote. But she started. And she said, one day sitting at that table, multiplication tables were going over and over and they just weren't clicking and I was stressed out and I went to the closet and I just started crying and said, Lord, this is not what we had envisioned. And she said she got this clear impression from the Lord that said, do you believe in me? She said, yes. Do you trust to have a plan? She said, yes. He said, then get back on that table and teach those boys multiplication. The way you will change the world today is teaching them how to multiply. said it forever changed her understanding of what the Lord had called her to do. Her digging a ditch was teaching boys how to multiply. What's your ditch digging? There's a story right after this. We're not going to go in detail on it, but it tells us that we need to give everything we have to the Lord. He goes after this story. The rain comes. They, they go and they initially defeat him, but then Edom fights back, and it's kind of a convoluted story. But then Elisha moves to where this widow is there, and she's lost her husband. She's got a couple of sons. Her sons are in danger of being taken in for servanthood. And Elijah go, Elisha goes into her house. I'll probably do that several times, by the way. Call Elisha Elijah. I apologize to him. All right. When we get to heaven, I'll say my apologies. Says to Elisha says to her, what do you have? She said, I just got a little oil. He said, start pouring the oil. And when you're done, sell what you have. And she starts pouring the oil and it keeps multiplying. It goes along with digging the ditch because sometimes we think we've got to have more and able to do what God intends for us to do. But the truth is He just wants us to start with what we have. And that everything we have is all that He needs. My daughter, Maddie, has this cute little habit of loving to hold money. As long as she holds on to it and doesn't spend it, it's all right, right? Little change. But she doesn't call it money. You know what she calls it? Offering. Dad, I got my offering. Dad, where'd my offering go? Every piece of money she has in her two-year-old mind, is an, she doesn't know what an offering is. She just heard that word. But how would it change our lives if everything we had we considered offering the Lord's to use? This week, I'm going to ask you to pray that the Lord will show you what your ditch digging ought to be. Whether it's relationship you need to begin to repair. Maybe it's an act that you need to take. Maybe it's small steps for your health or for your family, for your spiritual life, for this church that you need to begin to take. And my prayer for you this week is, You'll start. Let's pray together.